0: Our plan up until just a few weeks ago was that we would be on our way to Peru this evening. We would be right now sitting in the airport in Atlanta waiting for our overnight flight. But as you think of it, if you would pray particularly for where Brother Watley is down in the southern part, they are really, they are really dealing with it. They are... They are really being, not so just religiously, but there's still uh, um, all kinds of protests, revolts. Some of the protesters are actually going house to house and dragging people out and dragging them into the protests. And so it has been a very challenging time. Let's go ahead and stand, please. And the first five verses are our portion for this evening. <clears throat> Second Timothy chapter 1 and verses 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, <coughs> to Timothy, <coughs> excuse me, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also, and let's pray. Well, Father, we pray your blessing, not just tonight on this service, but upon, of course, the life of our church. And I pray especially, Father, for your blessing upon us as we turn our attention now for the next few weeks to Paul's last letter to us. That its message and the heart behind it would, by your spirit be brought to us, and that we would live in the fidelity that Paul sought. I pray your help tonight then in Jesus' name, amen. And you may, of course, be seated. Well, 2 Timothy, of course, is the last of the three pastoral epistles, and it is as far as Scripture is concerned, the last of Paul's letters. We don't know if there were other notes or letters that he wrote, but there's nothing that is put into the text of Scripture for us after 2 Timothy by Paul. I personally find the book of 2 Timothy both encouraging and discouraging. and I'm not really looking for a fight or looking to cause any trouble or to raise any theological red flags, but I have wondered how someone could really engage with Second Timothy and still be post-millennial in their theology. When, when Paul is writing from the perspective of a Christianity that appears to be unraveling before his very eyes, there is, folks, a tremendously sad tenor to the entirety of the book that people that Paul had labored for and people that Paul had labored with have upon his imprisonment and impending execution turned around and run away. And they have done this en masse And part of the tender appeal of Paul to Timothy is that he is running out of friends. Sitting in a prison cell. He will write, we know this at the end of the book, I am ready to be offered. What he actually writes is, I am in the process of being poured out as a drink offering at this very moment. And he is running out of friends. Very few Christians have taken their stand with Paul. And there is, on the one hand, this tremendous appeal to be faithful to the Lord. But it is written, folks, if you look at it carefully from the perspective of people who are abandoning Paul. They are leaving him. And he is dealing with that. The encouragement part of the letter is, of course, that Christianity does survive. And that God is faithful and God does give to some grace and courage to stand for him in unpopular times. But overall, I would say it is a sad book. And it is not a sad book in a human sentimental kind of sadness. I'm never going to see you again. And I'm really sad that this has been the end of my life and my bucket list has not yet been completed and there are so many more things. It's not that kind of sadness. It is a sadness that a man who has given his life to laboring for Christ now finds himself so alone in those labors when the stakes are so high. The first five verses of the book are, I don't want to say an an, an unexpected perspective, but in the first five verses of the book, Paul begins the book by pointing out what a blessing Timothy is to him. I think a good word to describe the relationship between Paul and Timothy is that of mentor and mentee. A mentor is somebody who guides you, who teaches you, who leads you, and who trains you. But they do that with a great personal investment. It is not just that they are trying to train you to do a job. It is that they have an affection for you personally. And probably we've had folks, maybe it was a parent, somebody who taught us from the perspective of really being committed to us, or perhaps it was just another Christian, someone who helped you and ministered to you from a position of love. That was the way Paul felt about Timothy, and Timothy could no doubt look to Paul as his mentor. Let's turn our attention then to the text this evening in the first two verses, Paul uses them as he always does—the introduction of a letter—to letter communicate to us vital truth. Of course, these are letters, and they have a greeting like we would begin a letter with: "To whom it may concern," or "Dear sirs," or "Dear brother so and so," or "Sister." In verse number 1, Paul talks about the way that he is related to God. He talks about the way that he is related to God. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I think that he is using that in the official office capacity sense of the word. There are places where the word apostle is used to describe Perhaps it's dictionary definition. An apostle by dictionary definition is somebody who's sent on a mission. Somebody who's been commissioned by a higher authority to do a task. That word is used in the church to describe a particular office. Without getting all down into all the particulars of what it takes to have been an apostle. Biblically, an apostle had to have seen the Lord which is why Paul makes much of the fact that he did. And apostles are people who communicate to us truth of the scripture. God used other people, but the apostles are those who gave to us the scripture. They wield tremendous biblical authority. And so Paul is describing himself in his official capacity as an apostle of Jesus Christ Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. This is the process. How does one become an apostle? One becomes an apostle because it is God's will. Paul didn't choose it for himself. Paul didn't take a battery of ability tests. We used to have a guy in the church. Some of you will know immediately who I'm talking about worked for a large corporation, and one day they subjected them to a battery of these kind of tests. What, what, what are you good at, and what are your skills? And, and uh, he said, the guy's up there talking away, and he's kind of talking in generalities, you know, and he's kind of beating around the bush. And he said, finally, I said to him, hey, stop beating around the bush. Pick me. Tell me, tell me about the tests and me. And the guy said, oh, you like to tell people what to do, and you like to live dangerously. Paul didn't take a battery of tests and go, you know what? I like writing books and I like telling people what to do. I think I'll be an apostle. Paul is an apostle because it was what God had for him. So he talks about himself, his position. He is an apostle. And he talks about the the process by which he became an apostle, the will of God. And he talks about the perspective that he brings to his apostleship according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. And we want to remember, folks, that as Paul writes this, he is writing it from his deathbed. There is no parole in the future for Paul. He is going to die. The Romans know he's going to die, and he knows he's going to die. And many of the people who have been with him know that he is going to die. And yet his perspective is that he is an apostle by the will of God, according to life. It is the life that has been promised by Jesus Christ. He is not preoccupied with his upcoming physical death, although he is aware of it. But again, Paul is not, I I want to come back to this, folks, right? There is, I would argue, a very sad note to the entirety of the book. But Paul is not in the slew of despair. He is not despondent. He is not suicidal. His confidence is in the Lord where it had always been. He is distressed at what the defection of men mean, but he is not surprised by the defection of men. So in verse number one, Paul talks about himself, his position, and apostle, the process, the will of God, and the perspective. He is laboring as God's apostle because he is oriented to life, although he has lived in constant danger of death. And in verse number two, he talks about his relationship to Timothy, his relationship to God and then his relationship to Timothy. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son. Grace, mercy, peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Timothy is his beloved son. And we've talked about this, and I don't want to get into to belabor it because it really isn't worth the argument, but I don't think that Paul is taking any credit. In fact, I would argue passionately, that Paul is not taking credit for having won Timothy to the Lord. But he is just simply making the argument that Timothy is like a son to him. That that would be the relationship that they had. You're my beloved son. You're the son that I never had. You're like a son to me. And he desires for Timothy what he desires for all pastors. Grace, mercy, and peace. Grace, mercy, and peace. And though Paul desires those attributes for Timothy, he points out that Timothy can get them only from God. No pastor can give you grace, folks, or mercy or peace. These come from the Lord. And notice the way Paul puts it. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So in two verses of introduction, Paul orients himself to the Lord and Paul orients himself to Timothy. Much of the letter will take on an exhortation to Timothy to remain faithful, to remain faithful to Paul, to remain faithful to the Lord, to do his best to get to Paul. But in the next three verses, he turns his attention not to what he wants from Timothy, but what Timothy has done for him. Verse number three, I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. when paul thinks of timothy which is often his memories of timothy are pleasant i thank god whom i serve for my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing i have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day paul makes the argument here and it's an argument that paul makes in a number of places in the bible couple of times in the book of Acts Philippians chapter 3 we might take a moment to look at it that what was true lifelong of him was that he served God with his conscience this is the way he writes here I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience if you will take a moment turn back to Philippians 3 you know the passage Philippians chapter 3, let's begin in verse number 3. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, contrasting himself with his physical birthright, as we will soon see. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. In other words, if anybody could make the argument that their flesh could be rightly related to God, Paul's going to get in that line and go, this is true of me. If anybody could stake their claim to God on the basis of their human beingness. I'm going to take that claim. Though I might, verse 4, also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he have where he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day. Of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. And I'm going somewhere with that, folks. Paul is making the argument, and we could develop the story again by going to Acts in a couple places, going to Philippians, going to Second Timothy. That while Paul could always argue that he served the Lord with a clear conscience he could not say that he had served the Lord always in biblical obedience. Because much of the time that Paul was convinced in his conscience that he was right, he was living as an unbeliever. I've always served the Lord with my conscience, but my conscience has not always been informed by the scripture. That's what Paul would have to say. And I think he's going to make a contrast with Timothy a little bit later in the verses. Then, of course, Paul got saved, Acts chapter 9. And now not only does he serve the Lord from his conscience, he serves the Lord from true obedience to the scriptures. Going back to 2 Timothy 1.3, I thank God whom I served from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. And I would just suggest to you that the context implies that he thinks of Timothy fondly. I pray for you regularly, and I think of you fondly. You've been a good friend to me. You've been a good friend. Secondly, in verse number four, Right, so how is Paul receiving a blessing from Timothy? His memories of him are fond. Secondly, he desires Timothy's company. Verse number four, greatly desiring to see thee being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. Paul covets Timothy's presence. I think of you often, and I pray for you regularly, and my memories of you are precious, and I wish you were here. Greatly desiring means longing for you. And when he talks there about Timothy's tears, we don't know exactly what he means, but the speculation is that the tears they shed over their parting, when they were separated, when they had to go their way, separate ways, for the sake of the Lord. We know that Paul sent Timothy on a variety of missions, acting as his representative to Corinth and to Ephesus. Paul will later write in Second Timothy 4.21, Do thy diligence to come before winter. I really need to see you. And, of course, there will be some personal items in there. Bring the books, bring the parchments, bring me a coat. But more than anything, come. I want to see you. And then finally, in verse number 5, we have the thing that ties it all together. Why are Paul's memories of Timothy so fond? And why does he want to see him so desperately? When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. What really triggered Paul's love for Timothy was his genuine faith. Now, there's no doubt, folks, at least in my mind, there's no doubt that there is a bond and an attraction there that we would these days call chemistry. But Paul doesn't talk to Timothy in psychological language. He's talking about the authenticity of his faith. I am persuaded that it is in you, and Paul had seen it in action. I won't have you turn to it, but again, back in Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes to this church, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know of your estate, for I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your estate. No one like Timothy. No one like Timothy. But can I just take a second, folks, and talk to you, those of you, in, from 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy 1.5, to those of you who have grown up in Christian homes. Some of you did not. I did not. I did not grow up in a Christian home. I grew up in what we perhaps call a nominal Christian home. If anybody had ever asked, we were Christians, but nobody in my home ever tried to practice Christianity when I was growing up. But some of you have grown up in Christian homes and you've tried to raise your children in Christian homes. And some of you now having been raised in Christian homes and raising your own Christian home are trying to raise your child in a Christian home. And there are no shortage of people out there who study these things who are prepared to pronounce doom and gloom upon subsequent generations of believers. But can I just point out to you that there are three generations of believers in 2 Timothy 1.5? There's grandma, mom, Timothy. All of which, by the way, takes place within the framework of perhaps a very good man, but Timothy's father was an unbelieving man. There's no testimony or record anywhere ever that he came to faith in Christ. He is clearly labeled as an unbeliever. And so here are these ladies who are raising this young man their faith is genuine his faith is genuine three generations of genuine faith again i wouldn't make a big deal out of it but i would suggest that paul's testimony about his own conscience which was zealous but wrong is set against timothy's lifelong christianity your mother believed this your grandmother believed it you Believe it. So, when we get to this end of this section, right, the introduction, the introductory parts of the letter, the letter begins with Paul explaining to Timothy what a blessing he has been. You've been a blessing to me, Timothy. Now, immediately he's going to turn. And say, here's what I need you to do. But he begins by pointing out what a what a good friend and a good confidant and what a good helper Timothy has been. It is highly unlikely that Timothy ever set out to be Paul's right-hand man. Just as it is unlikely that Paul said, I, I think I'd really like to be an apostle, I'll go for it. Right? Timothy was just a guy in church with a good reputation when he came into contact with Paul, Acts 16, 1 through 3. And here's where I'm going with that, folks. I would say to all of us that it should not be our aspiration to be somebody's Timothy. To think of it in that way. I want to find a Paul and I want to be their Timothy. But it should be our ambition to live in such a way that we could be somebody's Timothy. That we could be an encouragement and a blessing to someone. That we would be then grateful to God for the ministry that God has given us in that way. Let's pray together this evening. Father.